Morning. Welcome to church. <laughs> One person's here. Um, we have a different kind of service uh, today. Uh, I think it's going to be a good service. Hopefully, you got a cluster of grapes on the way in, and those aren't going to make any sense for a couple of minutes. Um, but we'll be using them and thinking about them today. Uh, so if you didn't get one, stand up and do a dance, and Josh will bring you one, or just turn around and look at him, and he'll give you one. Uh, different kind of service, because uh, we've been studying the life of Peter, and we've been looking at, at Peter's discipleship process, a disciple being a follower of Jesus, and we've been looking at, at what it took in Peter's life for him to become a, a better follower of Jesus. And at the beginning of the series... We talked about how history tells us, tradition tells us, that Peter died upside down on a cross. And he chose to do that because he didn't feel worthy to die right side up in the same way as Jesus. And so we've been looking at the things that, that really led Peter to be that type of guy, whether you believe the tradition or not. What led him to love Jesus? Thank you. Cool. Um, we should give grapes out every Sunday. <laughs> thought she was giving me one and it sounded pretty good. I'm not opposed to that. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the steps that led him to be that type of guy that loved Jesus and, and desired to follow him so much that, that he, he refused to die the, the same way that Jesus did, just out of honor and respect. And So far we've seen some really good principles. Uh, we've seen some things that I think we can put into practice in our lives and really try to to emphasize in, in, in our spiritual process. We, we saw that Peter recognized uh, how, how great Jesus was and really how inadequate he was to have a relationship with him. And that was, a, that was kind of the first step in, in Peter being a, a follower of Jesus. And then we saw that, uh, that Peter uh, saw Jesus for all that he was and, and continued to be obedient to him even when it was hard and difficult and, and truly seemed pointless. And on top of that, we saw a story where Jesus was walking on water and Peter saw that. And then, and then Peter, for no reason really, except for wanting to do something great for Jesus, got out on the water and said, hey, I want to be out here with you. And so we see Peter take this risk for Jesus. But then last week we saw that Peter suffers this major setback because he gets mad at Jesus and he tries to, to yell at him. And, and Jesus doesn't allow for that, but he rebukes him back. And, and we talked about how... Uh, Jesus, his response to Peter's setback wasn't to say, hey, Peter, you need to feel guilty for the rest of your life. You need to hold on to the, the pain that you feel about this moment for at least like three weeks. No, he said, hey, Peter, look, you suffered a setback, but here is how you can move forward. And, and we kind of talked about how if we are going to move forward in our relationship with Christ, then we must use our setbacks in order to move forward. But there's something that, that's important for us to understand as we look at the life of Peter and and really as we study what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that is, uh, it doesn't always boil down to step one, step two, step three. It isn't always as simple as saying, I'm going to practice these things and I will move forward in my relationship with Christ. The truth is, there is no like one, three, ten step process to become the perfect follower of Jesus. That's just not the way it is. There's no self-help manual that says, here it is, if you do this, this, and this, then then everything is going to be great and you are going to have the same passion about Jesus that Peter did. 
Instead, we see in the life of Peter and in, in, in our lives that sometimes what moves us forward in our relationship with the Lord is the experiences that we have. As I was studying uh, the passage I was going to teach on this week, what, what really uh, struck me is that so much of what moved Peter forward wasn't what he was trying to do. It was simply the experiences that he had with Jesus. And they, the experiences that he had moved him forward with Christ and made him into the follower that he was. Now, uh, as I thought about that, I, I recognized that in my own life, the same thing is true. I could point back to experiences I had with Jesus, not moments that I was trying to do something different, trying to be better, but experiences that I had that really moved me forward and made me the man that I am and, and helped me want to be the man that I'm becoming. And uh, I'll just give you a few of those. Uh, one, uh, the, the key, 17 years old, realized how much of a sinner I was and how great Jesus was and spent hours on my bedroom floor crying alone at night because I just realized how amazing it was that Jesus had given his life for me. Uh, also 17 years old, just a few months after that, uh, went on a mission trip to San Diego where God used some of the bad experiences in my life to help uh, a little boy know the love that Jesus had for him. Uh, another one would be uh, in Sun River with, with our youth group at Creekside Bible Church about three years ago uh, at a youth retreat. And I saw God move in this house in Sun River in ways that, uh, that I may never see again this side of heaven. It, it was something to behold. And uh, just a, a couple of years ago, standing outside of a field in Wilsonville where God spoke to me. And you guys have heard this story, some of you. It wasn't an audible voice, but but so clear uh, to me what God was saying, and, and he really showed me what my life needed to be about and the direction I wanted to go. And the truth is, it's those experiences as much as anything that have helped me to be the man that I am today and, and really have helped me to want to follow Jesus with all uh, of my life. It's not perfect, but but they have moved me forward for sure. Now, the same is true of Peter, as I just said. And, and today, our goal is this, is to go through uh, our service and really reflect some of the key experiences in the life of Peter. Our hope in this is that maybe you will have an experience with God, but, but the truth is I, I can't force an experience upon you. I can't make you have an experience with God. Uh, but, but I'm hoping that you'll at least be open to it today as, as we kind of uh, look at, at the Word of God and, and sing songs to Jesus and kind of mingle those together, that you'll be open to, to having God say some of the same things to you that He said to Peter 2,000 years ago. And I think if you're open to that, then God will meet you, maybe not this morning, but at some point, and He will allow you to have those experiences that will move you forward in your relationship with Jesus. And so we'll look at these stories of Peter's experiences. Briefly, I'll talk. And then we'll sing songs that, that really are responses to the things that Peter learned about Jesus in those moments and through those experiences. The first experience that, that I want to talk about really... Uh, starts thousands of years before Peter is alive. And if you were to go back in the Old Testament, you would see that God creates this nation, the nation of Israel. And in doing so, uh, he, he loves them and he says, hey, I'm going to bless you. And one of the ways that I'm going to bless you is I'm going to take you and give you a, a land that is beautiful and plentiful and it's the greatest land that you will ever see. And that Jewish people, the Israelite people, come to the edge of that land and, and they send spies into the land. And we see this story in Numbers 13. 
Verse 21 says this, So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo, Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahimon, Shishai, and Talmai, I practiced, the descendants of Anak lived. Hebron had been built several years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkel, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites had cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So the Israelite people become a nation, and God says, I'm going to give you this land. And the very first thing that the majority of them see in this land is this cluster of grapes. And so in some ways, that cluster of grapes represents the relationship that they had with Jesus. And if you go through the Old Testament, you see what happens is that the people stop caring about what God thinks and they become very disobedient to him. And eventually God punishes them and says, look, if you're not going to follow me and if you don't want a relationship with me, then I'm going to allow other countries and nations to come in and take the land from you. And that's exactly what happened. When Jesus comes on the scene, the Roman people are, are in charge of the land, as we've talked about in the past several weeks. They're in charge of that land, and, and the Israelites are looking forward to somebody who is going to be their king and their savior and will, will make everything right for them. They're looking for somebody who is going to bring, if you will, the grapes back to them, that is going to let them plant their vineyard and have the land in the way that God had promised it to them thousands of years before. Now Peter, as we've talked about, doesn't really understand what all that means, but we see that Peter at some point recognizes that Jesus is the man who's going to set things right. He is the king of a nation that is called Israel who can be represented by the grapes, like the grapes that you have in your hand. We don't know when that happened for Peter, but we know when it chronologically takes place, at least in the Word of God, and when he first says it, and it comes after two miracles that we've talked about in the last uh, few weeks. One day of miracles, really. Jesus feeds fifteen to 20,000 people with just uh, two fish and, uh, excuse me, two loaves of bread and five fish. Did I say that right? Yes. Uh, and he feeds fifteen to 20,000 people with that amount of food. And Peter thinks that's pretty cool. But then he's out on a lake and he's trying to get across the lake and he's trying to get to the other side of the land. And and there comes Jesus walking on water, which is pretty great, right? That's pretty miraculous. But even more miraculously is the fact that as soon as Jesus gets into the boat, the storm that was going on stops. And somehow at that exact moment, they reach the land that they have been trying to get to all night long. The very next day, Peter looks at Jesus and says, We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. The experience of that day leads Peter to recognize that Jesus is the coming King and Savior. You see, Peter saw it. He said, Look, I know that you are too powerful and too great and too wonderful not to be the one who is promised that is going to give us back our land and allow us to plant our vineyards and do the things that we want, bring the freedom that God has promised us. Peter didn't know all that that meant, but he understood it through that experience. And this morning, uh, we're going to worship Jesus with a couple of songs for being the King of this world and the Savior of people. Will you stand up with me? In Mark 9, 2-8, we see another experience of of Peter's, and it's pretty crazy, so I'll read it to you. 
After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led, him up, led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, no long, they no longer saw anyone with them except for Jesus. Just to help you get a better understanding of this experience, which... Uh, just on surface level, is a pretty crazy experience, right? But the, the word for transfigured is where we get the uh, word metamorphosis in, in our language today. And it's a pretty good idea of what they experience. They, uh, they see Jesus and they still recognize him, but he becomes something very different than a normal human being. It tells us here that his, that his clothes became dazzling white, like the sun, it tells us, and whiter than anything that the world could duplicate. In the book of Matthew, it tells us that his face shone as bright as the sun. And, and again, something that, that we cannot replicate or duplicate. And so Peter sees this amazing thing, and it's so surreal and so uh, supernatural that the disciples are scared, it tells us. And Peter, Peter says this funny thing, hey, let's put up three shelters. It's kind of a funny thing to say. And I uh, admittedly so apparently he was just scared and, and he's being Peter and he feels the need to say something. So he says the first thing that comes to his mind. But what you should notice about that is that Peter still is putting Jesus on par at, at an equal level with these other two men. And if you don't know who these other two men, they're, they're guys from the Old Testament, Elijah and Moses that were prophets. And uh, they're kind of like a big deal in the Israelite faith. They are they are the guys that all of the people in that religion look to as kind of prophets that they study and they learn from and, and that, they, that they want to be like. And so Peter, when he says this, is, is really putting Jesus on the same level as, as these two men. But then all of a sudden, a cloud envelops them. If you were to go out, uh, through the Old Testament, you would see that a cloud oftentimes is a representation of God showing up. It's referred to uh, in theological circles as the Shekinah glory of God, which is just a big word for the revealed or perceived glory of God. And so what's happening in this moment is the, the presence of God is just surrounding them. It's in, enveloping them. And so we see in this moment that, that Peter is really entering into a divine presence, and he would have recognized that pretty clearly. What's fascinating is, is if you go back to the Old Testament, the most clear moment of this in the Old Testament is in Exodus 24. And uh, it's a pretty famous story. Uh, Moses himself goes up on a mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And God shows up in a cloud. And He shows up so strong and so majestic in that cloud that when Moses leaves, his face is actually glowing still because of the glory of God being around him. What's really interesting to point out here is that if you look at this, it says that Jesus glowed on His own. It wasn't the presence of God that did it. It was Him Himself who was glowing and glorious, showing again that Jesus was not just like Moses and Elijah, but, but Jesus was really divinity that Peter was standing next to. The voice that comes from the cloud confirms this. It says, this is my son. Listen to him. 
Let me tell you what this means. This means that Jesus isn't just a king and a savior, but Jesus literally is a divine presence. Peter hears this word and, and these words and he's going to recognize that Jesus is not just the king who's going to bring back the grapes to the Israelite people, but he is in fact the one who created the grapes in the first place. This experience had to lead Peter to go, it's not just a king who's going to give us the land, but this is a divine presence. This is the creator of all things, the very person who created me. If you look at the rest of the New Testament, it seems to confirm this same fact, uh, no more so clearly than, than John 1, 1 through 3. Uh, and speaking of Jesus, but calling Him the Word, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. So in this crazy moment where, where Peter and, and these other two disciples are, are up on this mountain and a cloud envelops them and, and, and a voice comes from this cloud, all of a sudden, they, I think, that they, they see Jesus and they experience Jesus not just as king, but really as creator of all things. And so today I would ask that again you would stand up with me. And I know we're going to be up and down today, but you would, you would stand up and worship Jesus, not just as the one who, who saves us and makes things right in the physical realm, but the, the very one who created us and gave us the life that we have today. Please stand with me. The final experience of Peter's life comes a, a little while later. Jesus takes Peter out into a garden to pray with him. And then the Jewish leaders who hate Jesus come and arrest him and they hand him over uh, and they put him on trial and hand him over to the Romans to have him executed. Uh, Peter experiences what I'm about to read from a distance because he was scared. He backed away from it, but he still experiences it. But before I read from Matthew 27:11-50, let me say let me say a quick prayer. God, Lord, I'm I'm about to read uh, the experiences of all experiences, and I pray that for us, whether we we know it or not, God whether we've experienced this love before or not, that today we would experience it through the reading of your word and we would remember, Lord, what a great sacrifice our King and our God paid for us. Just move through your word now, God. Matthew 27, 11 through 50. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him! Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! 
When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and sat it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and they nailed in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off his robe and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up the clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with, with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. See if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. You see, Peter looks, and, and he knows that this is his king and his God, and, and he watches this from a distance, and, and all of a sudden... He sees that, that his king and his God is being crushed. It's being crushed. And Peter doesn't understand what that all means until later. But we know looking back that Jesus, the king and God of the universe, was giving his life for us. His blood dripped down. He was mangled for the sake of you and I, for the things that we have done wrong. That moment profoundly impacted Peter. It crushed him to the point where where he loved Jesus so much that he was willing to give his life for him. And the truth is, if you and I are going to move forward in the discipleship process, then it's coming to the realization that the King and God of the universe didn't just die for other people. He died for your sins. The very things that you have done wrong, the very things that you don't want people to know about and that you are ashamed of. When Jesus, the King and God of the universe, went to the cross, he did that to save you, to have a relationship with you, and he did it out of love and grace. The best way, really the only way, that we can be true disciples of Jesus is if we are led to the cross. We can't witness it like Peter did, but we can understand it deeper and understand that grace and that love more, and that is the only thing, the only thing that will drive us to love Jesus and want to honor him with everything in us.
night before Peter witnesses this, uh, some of uh, this stuff that we just saw dramatized on the screen, Jesus uses these same grapes in a way as a metaphor for what is about to happen. And again, Peter didn't get it at the time, but uh, Jesus, Jesus represents his suffering and his death through the grape. And while he's having his last dinner with the disciples, he took a cup of wine made from grapes, right? 
uh, and, and he looked at his disciples and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And he added to this another metaphor. He took bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Today, we're going to take communion here, and I'll ask you to come forward in just a second. But, uh, but I, actually, I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, I meant to do it before that last song, so I'll, just, I'll hand it, and you guys can pass it around while I pray. But, but as you do this, I just encourage you to think about not just, not just the blood that, that Jesus sacrificed and that poured out of him, but, but the fact that it was our God and our King who gave his life for us. It wasn't just some man that was dying up there. The king of the universe who was doing that because of his love for you. So will you, will you pray with me? Lord, uh, I thank you that, that you loved us that much, God, that you cared so much uh, about us, God, that, that you would give your life for us, Lord. I pray that, that this morning we would truly remember it, God. Lord, it's so easy just to go through communion and, and not take it seriously, Lord. To drink some juice and eat some bread and, and really forget about it, Lord. But, uh, but God, I pray that, that that would not be the case for us today, Lord, but that we would be led to your cross, God. We would be led to, to remember that you poured out your blood for us, God. so good to us, Lord, and I thank you for being willing to do that. It makes no sense that the God of the universe would give his life for us, but you did that anyway, Lord. We love you and we thank you for that. pray these things in your name. Amen. If uh, you've experienced God this morning and, and want to respond to it, we'd love to know about that. I'd love to be able to pray for you and have a conversation with you about things that God has said to you today. And and so as the ushers come forward on this next song to uh, pass the offering around, I, I would ask that, that you would fill this out and drop it in and, uh, and, and let me pray for you. The good news is Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Uh, you saw it represented at the end of that video there. Jesus got out of the grave. He resurrected on a day we celebrated not too long ago, Easter. Uh, and today we're going to finish our service by celebrating that because that experience also impacted Peter in, in pretty profound ways and some ways that we'll talk more about next week. So you stand up with me and celebrate our resurrected Lord.